Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be talking about Ty Jerome getting recalled. He's going to be playing for the OKC Thunder for this moment. I'm going to be giving you guys a preview of the Blue Austin Spurs game as well as the Thunder Atlanta Hawks game. So let's just get right into the swing of things. So kicking it off with Ty Jerome, it was announced yesterday, I think Joe Muzzato of the Oklahoman broke this, but he got recalled. He's going to be playing for the Thunder, had a little nine-game stint with the OKC Blue. That's where he started out this season. I mean, he was sidelined with that left ankle sprain for, what was it, like two months? Yeah, probably approaching two months by that point. So made his appearance with the Blue. He played solid in those games. Now he's finally going to get uh, the call up here. And it may have to do with Hamadou Diallo because he did get injured in the last contest versus the San Antonio Spurs second quarter. He has some right groin soreness, so he's sitting out a minimum of two games. Mark Dagnall commented on it. He said that it could span from two to four games, potentially even longer because... There are four games until the All-Star break, and the second half begins on March 11th. What the thought process is, is either you sit out Diallo, all four of those, to make sure he makes a full recovery, or, you know, he just comes back after two. I could totally see them playing the safe route. They did this with Shea Gildas-Alexander. That knee, uh, I guess it was nagging with them for a little bit. So they took the long road, and look at where he's at right now. He just came off a career high in points, off of like a week back from being there uh, with the team. So I don't think they're going to force Diallo back. I would assume that Ty Jerome should be here for the long run. However, it's a little bit uncertain because the OKC Blue, I mean, their regular season, if they care that much, I know a lot of these top prospects are getting flown out of Orlando right now. Donta Hall, he got a call up among a lot of others. Ty Jerome gets added here, but I mean... They probably aren't returning. Maybe Jerome doesn't return if Diallo is going to be out. But the um, the G League playoffs, I believe they begin around the same timeline where Diallo should come back. The last game for the Blue, their regular season finale is March 6th. And then the playoffs will start shortly after. So I don't know if they want to make a playoff push or whatever. But maybe they decide, hey... You know, Ty Jerome might as well give him some more experience. If Diallo comes back in full stream, like full steam, does there become enough minutes for Jerome to contain the same level of play? I don't know. I think this also could point to uh, George Hill just being gone for for good, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. Anyways, I mean, Jerome, he gets that call up because they need shooting guard depth, obviously. But he's also been playing pretty nice. He's averaged 12.1 points, 2.6 rebounds, 3.2 assists, and 1.1 steals across those nine games that he's played. And, you know, if you just want to break this down, I think that to the common eye, you may just look at Ty Drome and, you know, think he's he's kind of had a shaky year because he has only shot 29% from the three-point range. And he is shooting up a lot of times he's averaging 4.9 attempts to get there so you know for someone who has not seen like 
every single one of these games, it may be hard to kind of realize this, but he's a lot better than what the numbers would show, and he has just gradually improved from every single game. Like, I remember the first couple games he was playing, he was not able to make anything. I, I think he went 2 for 10 in one of the first matchups he had, kind of stayed at that level, couldn't do anything from deep, and it looked like he was kind of flopping. There were a lot better guards on the squad in like Xavier Simpson and Rob Edwards, but anyways, I mean, he's gotten back together, and he definitely deserves a call-up, as well as a lot of other guys, but yeah, I mean, the final three games he played with them, significant increase from downtown. He shot 39% from deep, and that's what his kind of calling card to the NBA was. It was his passing, and it was his shooting. Shooting, Looks like it's on the up and up. If he is a catch and shoot guy, it works. He also can take it off the ball, surprisingly. People were sagging off on him. There were a lot of high ball screens set for Jerome in the bubble. And what he would do is he would just patiently wait for everything to kind of come into terms. And if he had a shot, he'd pop it. And they started falling a lot more often. And he was burying like really deep threes as well, as well as some sweet corner shots. He could, He hit a contested one, like very clutch. So... He has all the things necessary to be a shooter for the team, that catch-and-shoot guy you can patch in, and I mean, as a finisher, he's very smart, but as you guys probably know if you're a long-time listener, he's a very slow kind of point guard. He's not your traditional electric, like, De'Aaron Fox, sprint right around you, isolation god. No, he needs a screen to do anything, and luckily for him, since he's six foot five, he can still do it at the two position. So he will get a screen, and if he can get inside, he's looking towards runners or kicking it out. It's not like he's slashing in and dunking on people. That's not part of his forte. Same kind of goes with like crazy pull-ups. He's he kind of just has two options, and then if no one's there, he'll kick out. So kind of like SGA, except. You don't see him in one-on-one opportunities, and if he gets into open space, he's not going to be, like, absorbing much contact. Now, he's tried, but I don't think he's, like, that elite of a finisher, if you know what I'm saying. So, very basic. You know, I think he kind of kills you with the patience that he possesses. He's like the Kyle Anderson of guards, I would say. At least he was with the blue, where everyone was so antsy, and he recognizes that. He's so good at assessing kind of the gist of what's going on and he attacks that and that's how he's able to find success not just outside but also while working in the interior now defensively he's also been amazing as uh, a pickpocket like 1.1 a game very active when it comes to kind of knowing what's going on so it even plays more into what i was saying about just seeing everything a floor general now is his role really going to be that i don't know um, I think if he debuts tonight, which probably should be the case, you're looking at him probably having to slide in at the point guard spot because Diallo has been the point guard in the second unit. And then Maladone at times will fill in, but it's not as much. So he's probably taking that Diallo role of trying to work as a point guard. And you're probably gonna have to slide like Kenner Williams down to a lot of minutes or up, I guess. But yeah, I, I think that's kind of the trajectory you would see with him. It's very different, though, because Diallo, he kind of speeds up the game. Jerome is not like that. I think he has a specific role where he's not just attack, attack, attack. He will wait, and I think he likes to facilitate more than 
than try to shoot, but that just kind of comes with it. Smart passer. It's going to be a very different flair coming off the bench for this Atlanta Hawks game and just however long Diallo's going to be gone because there's a clear shift in energy when he's with that unit and when it's not. Um, maybe Jerome can get things going. I could potentially see him working well with Isaiah Roby. If Isaiah Roby is trying to slash inside, I think that could help out a ton just on high high um, high ball screens. But yeah, um, we're just going to have to wait and see how he performs. I mean, I've liked him. I think that, you know, if he doesn't have an amazing first game, not to be too worried. And he's not a dude who's popping off the stat sheets. He just kind of calmly fills in and gets you numbers, like like I was saying, like 14 points and all that. So off the bench, you see what he can do. You should be very excited to see Jerome. I mean, one of the key pieces we got in that Chris Paul trade, surprisingly, um, that we still have. I mean, we don't have LeCue. We don't have Oubre. Trying to kind of gather other names we have off that. It may just be Jerome now, but we got the picks. So, yeah. Cool. Cool to see him. See if he can be a rotational piece moving on with us. But for the blue, since they got to fill up Jerome, Jerome's minutes, they're going to have to have a pretty tough discussion on who's getting more minutes because there's a lot of great guys with the squad. And this isn't the first time a shooting guard has just left the team out of nowhere. I mean, Chasson Randall did it two games into the year. Now Jerome does it through nine. Now you still have a stacked bench. So you have a third shooting guard who could probably get moved up in Rob Edwards or Melvin Frazier Jr. They've been amazing. I think if I were to give you a front runner, I'd probably go with, with Rob Edwards. I mean, he's been a straight sharpshooter. I think he fills in perfectly for Ty Jerome. I think he's better off the bench as, you know, kind of this Diallo type where, you know, he can get you going as a one-man show, but he also can work as a team player as well, and that's why I love him. So I could see that. Same with Melvin Frazier Jr. too. He's not the type where he will run the offense. He just fills in and plays amazing wherever you need him to. He can catch and shoot. He can finish amazing when it comes to playing defense at the two to four positions, really. But I could see that. And also, I mean, Jalen Horde has just shot up. He has been a great finisher. He's more of a three. He is six foot eight, so he would not be getting those kind of minutes I'd say as a starter, but maybe he kind of scrapes away at some of those because there's not a lot of stuff to move around. You got Vincent Edwards too. He just came off a pretty sweet performance. And then, I mean, what about Josh Hall? He has not really played for the blue. He played like four minutes in one of the games. So is he going to come back in the rotation? And if he does, is he just going to take those minutes from him? We need to know exactly what the medical status of him is before you come into those conclusions because, I mean, I've said it, but if he's in Orlando, you'd imagine it's not due to health and safety that he's not playing. It has to be some sort of injury or, you know, if it wasn't, why do you, why do you have him on a two-way contract, you know? So, yeah, um, he could play a lot more. I'm not I'm not betting on it yet until we actually hear what's going on with him, but quite a few guys who are in the running to take the minutes for the OKC Blue, and they're going to have a chance to do that today at 2.30 because they're going to be going up against the Austin 
Spurs. And the Austin Spurs, they are coming into this game pretty pretty solid. They're 7-3. The OKC Blue are 7-2. And, and this is why I've been kind of propping this up as one of the major games in the Blues regular season. If the Blue lose this, Austin jumps them in the rankings. And they will hold that tiebreaker by the regular season. They only play once. They have the head-to-head -head advantage. If it really comes down to seeding, the Blue, they're not going to be ahead of them. And that's going to be crucial because if I remember correctly, there's only eight playoff spots, and it's a single elimination tournament. So you want to be as high as possible. You don't want to be in the middle of the pack. That's for damn sure. There's no home court advantage. So if they're four in the five seed, sure, give Austin the four seed. Who cares? But once you get into the territory where Austin would be three and the blue would be four, that's when it gets a little bit scary because the, the path is going to be infinitely harder for the blue whoever is going to be at the top whether it's the blue coats the um the eerie bayhawks it could be the blue hell if they went out but in that scenario you don't want to be facing the top dogs because the bayhawks and the blue coats they're just scary teams you want to avoid them as much as possible but yeah anyways i think that going into this one it should be a pretty tight contest now the Spurs are constructed a lot differently than a lot of the teams that you have seen the Blue go against this season. They have a lot of forwards, and it's never been that for most teams. It's been all guard play. The Swarm won solely off the guards. I will say Nick Richards helped too with five blocks, but the guards are the ones putting up the points. For the Spurs, I mean, their main guy, yes, it happens to be Kyrie Thomas. That's a guard. However, looking down the line, you got Robert Woodard, second round pick from this season. He's looked pretty great. He's not actually a player for the Spurs. He is, um, I think he's on a two-way by the Sacramento Kings. So he's with them. So they get a bolstered up lineup and they still got their two two-way contracts. Kieda Bates Diop. I think he was with the Timberwolves before coming over here. He's solid. And you also need to factor in Quindary Weatherspoon, who also has shown flashes too. This is going to be rough. Um, they don't have a significantly taller player. Like, you're not going to see a seven foot two guy matching up with Moses Brown. However, there is going to be a seven footer in Kyler Kelly. But here's the thing with this guy: he's literally only 215 pounds. So Moses Brown. He's probably going to be able to back him down just a little bit if he's that underweight. If he seriously just weighs 215, I think Pokachevsky, I don't know what they have him labeled as, but it's around that ballpark range. So if you see a Pokachevsky going up against Moses Brown, Moses Brown's going up for like 100 points, okay? So I wouldn't be too concerned with that. I think the, um, the main thing, though, is just making sure that they can keep things up without um, Ty Jerome in the rotation. I really am loving Rob Edwards, as I've said. I mean, he has not been, like, the number one scorer, I don't think, in one of these games. But he's always around there. He's always so consistent when it comes to shooting. One of the best three-point shooters in the entire G League. You also have other players kind of sprouting out, as I mentioned, with, like, um, Jalen Horde and everything. And, hell, I mean, Xavier Simpson's been a perfect ball handler. I don't think he... I don't think that the Blue are going to suffer detrimentally when it comes to passing. Like, Jerome's a great passer, but Simpson, he was playing fine, like, without any other ball handlers with him. So, I'm cool with that. Yurt 7, 
they don't really have a second center to go up against him, so he should get a double-double if I was like a little psychic. That's what I'm predicting. And then Pokachevsky, if he has a rough night, that's kind of where you get into troublesome territory, but you don't want to rule him out. I mean, he he's kind of been going a little bit on a downward trend. Two amazing games, not so great last time. I, I mean, really, if you keep giving him the minutes and he struggles, you could potentially see the Spurs walking into the game. However, if Pogachevsky is like dominant, you already know this one's wraps because he is the real X factor here. There's way too many consistent variables that we're talking about with this squad. That's why I love them so much. And that's why I think ultimately they probably should be able to get a W. You still can't underestimate some of the players that they have though. And I'm specifically talking about go the guys in like, um, like Robert Woodard and uh, Keita Bates-Diop. I think those two power forwards are pretty amazing. Woodard's only six foot six, but he is athletic as hell. So he's gonna be able to get down low. If he's on Pokachevsky, that's probably gonna help. Like I think Moses Brown on Woodard would be tougher than Moses Brown going up against Kelly. So I, I don't know. I mean, it's going to be a close one down the wire. There's a reason that the Austin Spurs are seven and three right now. So you don't want to just underestimate them entirely. I think that. Okay, see, they have a solid amount of guys to match up with them, though. So, so I'm a pretty big fan of the blue for this game. And moving right along to tonight's Thunder Atlanta Hawks game. The Thunder are coming into this one at 13 and 19, while the Atlanta Hawks are 14 and 18. So pretty even when it comes to the win-loss column. For the Atlanta Hawks, they're coming off a pretty big victory. Trey Young and Danilo Gallinari combined for 71 points in their last matchup against the Boston Celtics. That team is literally in shambles, but that is for another time. Anyways, they got the job done against one of the Eastern Conference's best assembled teams, I would say. So, very good on their part. They lost to the Cavs just by a measly one point before that, so close to a win there and the game right before beat the nuggets by eight points so they are in some sort of rhythm that is apparent and they're doing this without some of their best players deandre hunter he's out for a good while right now same with bogdan bogdanovich cam reddish is questionable for this game he is listed as day to day and chris dunn is out so you lose out on a ton of wings here Hunter, he can slide from the three to the four, and if Dunn's out, you get your backup point guard just gutted. So they have a pretty shriveled up roster. We saw it with the Spurs. Thunder were able to get that one done, but how about the Hawks, who seem to be in shape as of right now? For the Atlanta Hawks, you need to be worried about, obviously, Trey Young. Dude is on a shooting clinic. He can pass it out. Pretty much, he just has free reigns to this entire offense. If Clint Capella's out, if they want to run small ball like John Collins and Danilo Gallinari, find someone to fill in that three. If you just have a five out with Trey Young, it's going to be magical for them. Now with Clint Capella, obviously you have someone down low and that does hurt a little bit. We saw it with the Houston Rockets when Capella was with them. Like It screwed up what they were doing, so they had to get rid of him to just go fully in on this small ball three, three-point shooting style. And I mean... It did work. It worked against the Thunder, barely. I think if uh, Steven Adams maybe was a little bit more adamant inside, it would have been different. 
But yeah, I mean, they force the Thunder to play their style. When you have a roster like this where there is a lot of shooters on the squad, Trey Young, he kicks that off for you. Kevin Huerter, he's also very good. You got Tony Snell, who, you know, he's kind of been just a role player, barely hanging on to the league, but he's still here because he can shoot just a little bit. Danilo Gallinari is a sharpshooter who is in rhythm right now. He's at the best part of the season right now because of all these injuries finally getting the opportunities needed starring big time then you got john collins who is a major stretch forward for the team so it's going to be a lot of threes and it's going to be trey young just starring the show it's going to be the sj versus young competition it's going to be absolutely amazing to watch you still need to look towards those other shooters as i mentioned i'd probably consider huerter and um danilo gallinari in that category but, you know, I think an interesting matchup will be John Collins versus Darius Baisley. Darius Baisley not looked too well, just came off a 0 of 8 performance. He had 10 rebounds, but you definitely could have seen more from the man. So, going up against one of the better power forwards in the league right now in John Collins. Not just a guy who will produce, but he is more of the athletic kind of centers and power forwards you don't see too often. He does it at a very high clip, so... That contest will be very telling on where Darius Baisley is, I think, just because it's not like he can just blow by people and get to the rack. I mean, Collins really gives you a fight there. And then at that same token, like, he'll give you a fight when it comes to three-point shooting layups. If he's not with the program this entirety of the game, it's going to affect the shape of how everything turns out because of how just elusive and the potential that John Collins has every time he steps on the floor. He's a 2010 machine and he can get you much more than that in a very short span of time. So very dangerous. And when you got Trey Young with you too, I mean, he can go off for 40, 50 points. Shea Gojus Alexander, we learned he can go for 40 to 50 points, getting 42 in the last game. I mean, he also kind of just has this free reign in the offense like he does everything now he's not just restricted to drives and kickouts now that he's more of a shot creator and he's just combined everything that he's learned from I'd say last year to this year like he has the ability to catch and shoot he has the ability to step back and hit the threes but driving in he's one of the best of the best so when you combine it you have a very nice package and I mean he's able to just dominate he is a one-man wrecking crew at times and that's what you love to see for the thunder though they're not going to have their main screen setter for him in al horford he is resting uh they're playing a back-to-back -back set the next game is against the denver nuggets so i guess they want to test horford against nikola Jokic. i think both times that i don't know i think yeah i think both times that um the thunder nuggets have matched up isaiah roby spend the starter there so test out horford with uh probably the best center in the league and you get to see isaiah roby going up against clint capella so that will be fun um maybe it'll be fun i don't know you also have mike muscala too used to be a hawk maybe he can defend clint capella but it's going to be it's going to be tough for isaiah roby probably because clint capella is the best rebounder in the entire league right now i think he's leading the league with like 15 or something roby if he gets you 10 that's really good so he gives you the energy if he can keep it going from downtown and you know as mentioned like if sj is driving in he needs to find options outside if you can kick it out to roby and he continues to shoot the basketball it's going to ruin them and they're not going to be able to have capella out on the floor now maybe if it's a 
two-point guarantee with him on Roby, you keep him in despite letting these wide-open shots come in. But if Roby's hitting his shots, if there's open looks that everyone's just piling on top of each other, and the Hawks cannot get rebounds every time, they may just determine that it's not worth the risk. And that's going to be a key thing. You know, determining if Isaiah Roby can defend Clint Capella is going to be huge. If he can, it's going to be a lot better. I'll just put it that way because I think you know with like a traditional big man, at least there's going to be some fight on defense. But what we have seen sometimes is just offensive rebound after offensive rebound. We saw with Enos Cantor. He's one of the best rebounders. Now you got Capella on you. You don't want him to get 20-plus rebounds because then you're practically screwed. Just knowing how much offense they got combined with Collins and Capella down there, yeah, that creates a ton of issues. So stop that. Make sure SJ just has the open space. And, you know, if he's forced to kick out, there's going to be shooters surrounding him. With Diallo out, that's a non-shooter out of the way with uh, his little groin injury, as mentioned. So... You get Ty Jerome, who can shoot. How long will he play? Will he be used as a shooting role? Or will he be just used as a traditional backup point guard? I seriously couldn't tell you. I feel like Mark Dagnall probably wants to make the best of his time um, here. So maybe he'd want to put, you know, spurts where Jerome's with the starting lineup and Maladone is absent to lead the second unit. I think that is definitely something you could put up in the air because even though Maladon is very great at catch and shooting I think that he probably has a step up in terms of pace that Jerome doesn't have Jerome he can catch and shoot he can drive but it's definitely not at the uh the speed that we tend to see from this uh this unit so you could see change of directions here or you could just see everyone going wild as said like if Diallo's out you see Kenneth Williams you see more Justin Jackson those are two positives because they can give you those extra points. And when you are down two critical members who average double figures for you, you will need the role players to kind of star if you want any sort of chance going up against the Atlanta Hawks. Because even though they're injured too, I think that they have a bit more depth and they were a little bit more well prepared for some of these injuries than the Oklahoma City Thunder are. But anyways... I think it's going to be cool to just watch how SGA is able to follow things up if Baisley can finally come back against a very tough opponent. And how about Isaiah Roby too? Even Lou Dort. I mean, he's going to be clamping up probably, I'd assume, Danilo Gallinari if he's at the three. Now, I'd probably pick Dort over that every time. We have seen Gallinari just put up shot after shot, and he does it effortlessly. He gets like 30 points on the game, even when well defended. Dort's a bit different than the traditional people we saw Gallinari going up against last season. So I don't want to rule it out of the equation, but I don't think if he's getting 30 points, it's going to be on very high efficiency. If if Dort's the one covering him, of course. But just seeing him on offense, if he's able to go around Gallinari, I mean, Gallinari, he's playing the four, like full time with the Thunder. Dort, he was playing the two guard. So Definitely an advantage to Dort when it comes to being able to drive around. He's great at penetrating, shooting. He's been on the up and up, so maybe he goes off. I'm just excited to see everything. I think there's going to be a lot of things I can talk about here. Ty Jerome's performance, I mean, we saw him with the blue. Now you get to see him suited up ideally tonight and um, until the, uh, the the All-Star break, I guess, those four games. And 
everyone else, just see how everything aligns. You got a pretty packed schedule moving on here, so should be fun to see how the Thunder are able to perform. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See you.